part three of this mini-series that we've been uh, going through called Church Essentials. And uh, the first week we looked at the importance of uh, church attendance. Uh, why is it that we gather together? Why is that important? Why did God command that in his word? And so uh, the benefits from that. And then that, uh, last week we talked about the importance of small groups, how throughout the Bible we see different small groups that were set aside for a particular task that they couldn't accomplish as a larger group. Why did Jesus pull aside the 12 disciples? Why did he have the inner circle of the three? And then uh, this is the last week that we're going to be looking at uh, service. How do we serve around the church? And uh, my idea in regard to this particular series has been if a church was operating healthily in all of those areas, I wonder what they would accomplish. I wonder what a church like that would really do if, if everybody saw the importance of church attendance, if everybody was meeting in a small group and sharing in that particular setting, uh, if everybody was serving in one area and people weren't getting burned out uh, by serving too much in the church. Uh, I think we could see some amazing things happen here at Elam that God would really move in that way. And so uh, that was the real impetus for this and also in regard to launching the uh, small groups, which I think is going to be a real crucial part of closing the back door, which is going to be um, people leaving because they are not feeling connected to the church here. And so as we look at this passage this morning in 2 Thessalonians, by a show of hands, how many of you had chores or do have chores right now in your household? Right? Pretty much everybody, right? Chores are an important part of a family running smoothly. And so also we see in God's family, there are chores that we are to do. In this text today, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so, for those of you who have read through the Apostles' letters here, uh, Paul many times, uh, he, he spends a lot of time on practical issues, addressing things like, has Jesus come yet or not? He's addressing the issue of proper worship. He talks about what to do in a congregation if somebody is caught in sexual sin or some kind of besetting sin. And for the reader, as you're reading through his letters, it ends up feeling like a lot of law. Now, just as a refresher, we have two predominant types of passages in Scripture. The first is law. And originally, the law was intended to show mankind that he was incapable of keeping the statutes of God. We saw all these laws that were piled upon Israel. We saw the Ten Commandments. We saw them struggle and sometimes succeed and sometimes fail. And they kept going away from the Lord and turning to pagan gods, but then returning to him. And all of this was to show us that we needed a Savior. And we still need a Savior today. The law still speaks out there in the world, showing people that they cannot do it. Anybody that you talk to will tell you, yeah, well, I failed many different times. Nobody that I've ever talked to actually told me that they have lived a perfect life. Because we all know that we need uh, God's help. We all know that we need something in our life. And they might not even call it God, but they know that there's something wrong with the world. And so, there's also a law for the Christian. Okay, The law doesn't just go away for the Christian. It is uh, um, something that helps us in the process of sanctification. Okay, Sanctification is that cleaning up process once we are saved. 
And so some examples of law passages would be commands, like children, obey your parents, or do not neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. The second predominant type of scripture is the gospel. And so the gospel is complete, unmerited favor that is extended from God to us. An example of a gospel passage would be Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so today's passage is mostly law. In fact, we see the word command twice in these three verses. But I want you to listen for the gospel message at the end of the sermon, because I think it will be an encouragement as we look at this heavy topic. And so we're going to explore three aspects of this command that is given by God regarding work. First, the command is aimed at uh, at believers. Second, the command is meant to provide order. And third, the command can grow wearisome. And so first of all, the command is aimed at believers. I don't know if you're like me, but there's been times when I've been out either walking around or I've been driving my car, and I'll see a homeless person standing on the side of the road asking for money. And this verse, many times, will come to my mind. I'll think, that guy's hunger is supposed to drive him to work. I mean, he looks capable. Can't he get a job and provide for himself? But we must recognize that like most commands in the Bible, this is meant for believers. We cannot expect unbelievers to act like believers. They don't have the Spirit of God working within them like believers do. And so this command is aimed at those who have the Spirit of Christ living in them, working in them, sanctifying them. And we can determine this by the wording in the passage. Paul states here that when he was last with them, some of them were not working. And he's heard a report that many are walking in idleness. One of the possible reasons that they were walking in idleness may be the the main reason why Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians in the first place. Because some people had told them, Jesus has already come. You missed it. (laughs) And so they're probably like, what's the use now? Why should I keep on working or doing whatever I was doing? I missed the second coming. Maybe they're disheartened by all of this. Another reason they may be avoiding work is because those walking among the church there in Thessalonica might have been only acting like brothers and sisters. But really they were there to take advantage of the Christians. If I'm in this church, they're going to take care of me, because that's what Christians do. And there are those kinds of people that join churches. They're called leeches. (laughs) They're there to get whatever they can, to suck everything, all the life, out of the church. And although we don't have the ability to determine if they're truly Christian or not, those ones are warned that if their behavior continues then they're going to be put out of the church. And by the way, that's not just this issue, that's any besetting issue. Anything that you are confronted with in the church that you refuse, you know it's a sin, but you're like, I really don't care, I'm just going to keep on doing it anyways. That's when the church steps up and says, you have just transitioned from acting like a brother and sister, a believer, to acting like an unbeliever. 
And that's causing unhealthy things to happen within the church. Right? I've heard of an instance where a minister stood up in the pulpit one day and he said, I am here to tell you that I'm having an affair with the secretary. And the church was like, what, you know? And he's like, and I'm right. <laughs> and he started another church down the road. That's wrong. We have to address those things. We have to deal with those things. Before we move on to the next point, I want you to notice that Paul does not say that if you don't work, you don't eat. He says instead, those who are not willing to work should not eat, right? Because there's a big difference between the two. Some people are willing to work. They wish they could work, but for whatever reason, they're not able to work, and so perhaps they're too sick, they're too infirm, they can't work, they've been disabled. Or maybe the economy is such that they can't find a job. They've been going out week after week and looking. And so that's where the body of Christ steps in and makes a judgment. Okay, yeah, this person's actually trying. And so let's help them get through this particular time. Next we see here in this passage that the command is meant to provide order. This command is because if you lead an idle life, disorder happens. Disorder in your own life and disorder in the congregation. In fact, we see here that the lack of work will create this kind of disorder. There's an old saying that I think proves true here. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And this was definitely the case in the church of Thessalonica. Those who were not busy were meddling in other people's lives, stirring up dissension because they didn't have anything better to do. They're not working. They're not tired. They've got tons of energy to put toward making people's lives miserable. Back when I was ministering to those in prison, one thing I noticed uh, was that those guys wanted to work, especially if they'd been in isolation for a long time. Like if a job opened up, even if they didn't get paid for it, they would go do it just to get out and get some work done because that's something that God has placed within us, this desire to create and to do and to help. And so even the case, in the case of those who decide to retire, I believe that it's essential to remain active, working, doing something, a charitable work. I think Gary Sibley is a great example of this, if I can call Gary out. He's one of our trustees here. And he does a lot around here. I see him around this church a lot. Suzanne, they're working even though they're done working, right? And by the way, I'm sure Carmen's really happy too. <laughs> right? He's not just home bugging her, right? All right, and so keep working. Another way, uh, way idleness causes disorder is the neglect of duties. Perhaps you have a job, and you're working at this job, but you know that you're cutting corners. You know you're not really doing the job like you should be doing. And that's especially dangerous for people that are unsupervised in their work. That's probably the most dangerous part about my job in regard to this passage is because nobody's looking over my shoulder. As long as I stand in this pulpit week after week and say something, most of you are probably happy with that. 
However, I know, and God knows, if I'm goofing around in my office, right, and not really doing the work. And some of you have that kind of job, a job where you've been given a salary, you've given a task, right? Do this. But you know you're cutting corners. You're like that kid in school who was super good at getting grades. You knew how to take the tests. And so you didn't really study. But you knew you could have done better. You knew you could have applied yourself more. And so for us, we need to look at our conscience. Is my conscience telling me, is God telling me that I need to do better? I need to do more. I have more to give in this particular area. And so it's crucial we're listening to the Holy Spirit as we think about this work. Could it be that those who were being idle were the ones actually stirring up disorder in regard to the Lord's coming? I think that there's a real possibility. And many times our idle minds can lead us to thinking about controversies that are not actually important for the life of the church. This happens all the time in churches. I see churches split over the most ridiculous thing. And to me, the most ridiculous thing is end times stuff. Stuff that we're still kind of working through and seeing as it unfolds. But I have seen churches split over end times. Because people have too much time on their hands. They're not working hard at the thing that they're supposed to be doing and bringing unity to the body. They're looking for any little thing that they can see uh, brings controversy to the congregation so that they can be right. Notice how the Bible uh, describes the contrast between the one who is following the Lord's command in regard to work and the one who's not. It says the one who is doing so does so in quietness. This quietness indicates that they're not there to create a disturbance. And there's something very beautiful to me about a man or woman who just goes quietly about their business, giving glory to God for all the talents that they have. They're not trying to call attention to, see, look, I'm doing it, (laughs) right? Look at me. And so whether they receive fame or not, or their lives go completely unnoticed, they know that they are doing this for an audience of one. That God will see their work, and he will reward them. I'd like you to look for me, with me a little bit uh, at Ephesians 4.28, which shows the reason why we do this work. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Right? Notice what it doesn't say there. Let him labor with his hands so that he can buy more stuff for himself. Or take that extra vacation or whatever it might be. And not that there's anything wrong with those things. However, the main reason you make money is so that you can be of service. So that you can help. Anybody who's been a parent for long enough knows that the money comes right in this hand and right out that hand, right? Fixing cars, doing things, insurance, whatever it might be, you just become a conduit. And there's something actually very good about that because it keeps us from looking at our wealth as our safety net, okay? There's an illustration about three different types of people in the church, I think, that will be helpful here. A horse and a cart are trying to make their way up a very steep hill. There are those on board who jump off and help push. There are those who stay on the wagon 
and cheer on the horse and the pushers. And then there are those on the wagon who drag their feet. Our work shows us which kind of people we are in regard to that. Are we the pushers? Are we the cheerers? You guys are doing so great, keep it going. Or the feet draggers? We don't help, and we make things worse for the people that are trying to help. Historical legend says that as a carpenter, Jesus made the best oxen yokes in the world. People would come from miles around just to buy them. And as we represent Jesus, our work should make the Christian life attractive. Don't be... I talked to one guy, he's like, I'm not hiring Christians, they're super lazy. I said, what a... That's a stain on Christian life, you know? Don't be that guy. Be the guy who says, I want to hire all these... I know when Danny like went back to the Bible school and when um, Seth is going back there, there has been a good reputation for the school in regard to work because all these people around the area want to hire these students because they know they're hard workers. But if a couple of guys go there and they start to slack off and not do the work, they're going to stain that reputation. There's a story of a man who was negotiating a house without even looking at it. And his friend asked him why he wasn't concerned that he would show up and find that things were not as they were being represented. He replied, I know the man who built the house, and so I know the house will be sound. Can people say that about your work? Finally, we see here that the command can become wearisome. After Paul gets finished admonishing those who've been idle in their work habits, he remembers wait a second, there's a bunch of people there that are doing a good job, that are actually working. And I would say that probably today, that's the majority of you, that you are working hard, that you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. And what I don't want to happen, by the way, is if you are a hard worker, to hear that this message was for you and you need to work even harder, Right? not saying that. I'm saying those of you who are here, and I know there are probably some that are cutting corners, that aren't working hard, that aren't giving. He says in verse 13, as for you brothers, the ones who are working, do not grow weary in doing good. Doing the right thing can become tiresome. Even Jesus got tired at times when he was doing the things that God had set before him. And part of the curse of living in this sinful world is that man is to work by the sweat of his brow. And this continues to plague Christians as well. All you women, you know, you didn't have an easy childbirth because you were a Christian. That's part of the curse that's been passed down from generation to generation. And so too for you guys who are in the workforce. You're still working by the sweat of your brow continues to plague us. But remember how I told you there's going to be some gospel at the end of this? The gospel is, is that you now have the power of the Spirit to help you in that. That work that you're doing. The normal world just keeps slaving away, working for the weekend, working for the paycheck. Not so a Christian. That's not all we have. We have the Spirit of God that is helping us through each of these situations, giving us refreshment when we need it. 
In the previous verse, Paul encourages his brothers and sisters to look to Jesus when they feel like they cannot continue in the mundane tasks of life. We look to Jesus when that laundry is piled to the ceiling with all those kids around and it's another diaper to change and more dishes. We look to Jesus when our work becomes a drag or we have a boss that doesn't like us and is making our lives miserable. We look to Jesus when we're sitting in the office and we can't come up with the message and our brains are have writer's block or whatever it might be. I don't just sit there and well, I'll just crank out something, I guess, right? No, I look up. If you ever walk by my office and you look in there and I'm staring out the window, I'm not just daydreaming. I'm actually praying. Please help me, God. I don't want to stand up there and not have anything to give these people who showed up on Sunday morning. Right? We have this amazing encouragement to look to Jesus. The encouragement to, to not become dependent on other things. Like the government, right? Most of what we have been talking about this morning has to do with practical jobs, like I go to work and I get a paycheck. But I think Paul was also alluding to the work that happens in the church setting, and that's my main focus in regard to service here. I think that's what he's talking about, the doing good part. And do you know in many churches, the lion's share of the work gets done by a very small group of people. People that just... They're involved. Everything you show up to, they're there. Well, this person's here again. Do they have a life at home? You know? Because they're hard workers, and they want the church to run, and they want it to be good, and they want people to be reached for Christ. So I think this old saying where it says, no one should be doing two things until everyone is doing one applies. That's, not, that's kind of a, not a very practical thing to happen because people just still show up, and I'm not going to tell them to go home when they're working. Right, But there are some people who are not involved in ministry life. They're content to come and soak in the teaching, benefit from a vibrant body, but not pitch in to help. No one would put up with this in a family, in your household. Everybody has chores. And by the way, I'm not against you coming here and soaking it up and receiving, but we have to receive and give. Otherwise, what happens is you get bloated. You become ineffective. And so we receive blessing and respond, respond by serving. You know, in conclusion today, Elam is a terrific church. There are so many people here that are willing to serve. Just come to VBS and you can see it. All these people from the congregation that show up to help and serve. However, there are some today, a few, that are shirking your chores in one of two ways. First, you're not carrying your part of the load in regard to the financial needs of this church. You're not giving. And I don't know what your reasons are. I don't want to know, actually. You and God have to decide this between the two of you. But I know there are some people here that are carrying the lion's share of the financial burden here. And some people will say, well, well I'm serving. That's my giving. No, it's not the same. Your money is tied directly to your heart. And some of you are shirking that. You're not giving. And by the way, God doesn't need your money. You might think, well, the church seems to be doing fine. That's not the point. It could be doing wonderful, and you'd still be encouraged to give. Because you're giving to God. Not Scott, not the council, not the building. 
The church just happens to be there as a conduit for that. Those things get filtered through the church to God. Then there are some of you that are not serving at Elam here. You don't have an area of service. And there are plenty of things to do. And you might say, well, I hate working with people. Okay, well, that's fine. You can come and, I got, man, I could make a list as long as my arm of stuff that needs to get done around here. If that's your thing, if you're like a fixer person, show up Tuesday morning and I'll put you to work. Okay? There's lots of stuff to do here. You could be in the media thing. Talk to Rachel. You could be in, you know, kids. Talk to Denise. You could do help with youth. Let Danny talk to you. Don't. <laughs> Some people you don't want in youth, right? Work, okay? So there's lots of things that you can do here. Are you just riding the wagon, cheering on the pushers? That needs to change, not just for the health of the congregation, but for your health as well. You know this, right? This happens when you're like, ah, oh, I suppose I'll go do this thing or whatever. And you show up and you do it. And afterward, you're like, that was awesome. <laughs> that was great. You feel great. Because God blesses you in those circumstances. Remember, Jesus did not come to earth to be served, but rather to serve. And as his disciples, let's do a better job of following his example. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this church. I thank you for all the hard workers. And I pray this message would not stir them to exasperation. But Lord, I know there are people here that are not serving, not giving. And I pray that you would stir them by your grace that they could cheerfully give and cheerfully serve so that your body can be healthier. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.